Do you have too much cash sitting around? Don't let inflation waste it away. Welcome back to the Invest Smarter Podcast, the show that helps results-driven people make results-driven financial decisions so you can spend more time doing what you love. And today we are talking about inflation. I've been hearing it from a lot of people these days. Uh, we're starting to get worried that we're sitting on too much cash. And if that's you, then this is an episode for you. I'm going to run through the current situation with inflation. I'm going to explain how it can be awful for our wallets. And then I'm going to go through the different places you can consider parking your cash. We're going to go from the most conservative to less conservative so you can help determine if there's something that you need to do to help you invest smarter and help you fight the effects, the damaging effects of elevated inflation. And today, we're not going to waste any time getting into it. So let's get started. But first, as a reminder, all opinions expressed on the show are strictly those of myself or any guests on the show and do not reflect the opinions of DeWitt Capital Management. All content within the podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decision making. Okay, now we're ready to get into it. Let's go. Alrighty, so I've been hearing from clients and I've seen a few questions come in that were sourced through our newsletter. And so I knew I had to make a podcast about this topic and we're talking inflation. Now, the current situation is that there is inflation and it's definitely pretty unclear to me when it's going to go away. And I'm thinking that for now, it could be best to assume that it stays and prepare for a situation where it stays for longer than we expect. Um, so we have really low, artificially low interest rates. And because our government is in a mountain of debt, there's not a whole lot of pressure or at least they're fighting against the pressure to have rates go higher because that would do a lot of damage to the government in the sense that then they're going to have to start servicing a lot more expensive debt. So rates right now are definitely artificially low. The reality is that we are in a situation where the economy has become addicted to low rates over the last decade or so and the free-flowing money. If a race were allowed to float freely, depending on the supply and demand of money, uh, they will probably be a lot higher. But I'm, I'm no economist, so I don't know for sure. Uh, but um, that's just my sense. Now, there are certainly benefits to having these low interest rates. Housing is more affordable. It's easier for business to start and grow. And politicians can spend more money because they're spending money that is very, very cheap. The government can service the debt more cheaply as well, like I mentioned. But as esteemed investor Howard Marks said recently, just like ice cream, there's such thing as too much of a good thing. He says that if we keep them too low for too long, we may overstimulate the economy, we may see inflation, which we are seeing, and we may see our dollar weaken, or even in a really crazy case, maybe even see the dollar cease to continue to be the reserve currency that's been trusted globally uh, for decades now. And of course, we have seen the inflation, the language from the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve is the guys that set the interest rates in America. Uh, they've been holding, you know, on to the notion that inflation was going to be is going to be transitory. In other words, once all the supply chain issues that were a result of COVID are resolved, you know, we'll just go back to inflation around the typical 2% level and just be on our merry way. Well, those guys at the Fed are already slowly walking back that statement, that belief, that sort of thing that we've been hearing about for the last 12 months, the transitory inflation. I don't think I've ever heard of the word transitory being used so much 
until now, but uh, they are suggesting now that inflation may uh, indeed persist for longer. Depending on how you measure inflation, we are seeing inflation at least 5%. Uh, but obviously, it's been a lot more in certain things like fuel. And I know you've probably felt it in the supermarket. I was just in Little, which, by the way, is an awesome supermarket if you want to fight inflation yourself. Actually, for a quick little story, last night I was in Little and I bought some chicken. I bought a frozen pizza. I bought some snacks. I bought two things of water. I bought a bunch of stuff. And I walked out of that store for only after only spending $30. Then I went across the street to California Tortilla. I bought, I bought a quesadilla, a thing of chili, chips and queso, and I spent and two drinks, and I spent $30. So I'm, I'm at the point where, you know, I'm just going to be shopping at Little, and I'm going to be saving money. But anyways, um, I'd be scared to see what, you know, food is going for down the street at Wegmans, you know, where it's more premiumly priced. But anyways, the latest official CPI, which stands for Consumer Price Index, showed a 5.4% increase in prices year over year. That was as of September. So September over the last 12 months, 5.4% increase in prices. Now, there's, I'm not going to get into it because I don't even really know, but there's a lot of ways evidently that the CPI has been able to be manipulated. I think, like, I think one of the things is if, if a price goes up, they're able to lower the percentage of the price increase because the quality, because the quality of the increase, they say that the products became more quality. So they can actually say that it was a lower increase. So there's things like that where they can, there, there's tweaks that can happen. But anyways, in some categories, inflation is way worse, of course. Beef and veal, as of the last latest report, beef and veal is up 17% year over year. Pork is up 12.7% year over year. Fish and seafood is up 7.1%. Fats and oils up 7% and poultry up 6% year over year. So that is the thing that we are going to feel in the supermarket. So the main cause of inflation right now is the supply chain bottlenecks. And due to the, and due to the pandemic, supply has been disrupted, but consumer demand has been strong. It's rebounded. Even through the Delta wave, it just stayed strong. So there has been more demand for less supply and the simple... Economics 101 tells us that prices go up in this situation. The main question that's been asked today is whether or not it will be transitory, like I've said, meaning will it go away once we return back to normal supply chain situation that was pre-COVID? One point of distinction is that transitory does not mean that prices are going to go back down. It just means that the rate of increase in inflation will slow down. So I would say let's get used to the higher prices that we're seeing currently. And businesses, and businesses, of course, aren't going to have a whole lot of incentive to lower prices after they've already raised them. If their input costs go back down, yes, they could technically lower prices, but consumers, but if consumers are still buying at the higher prices, they'll just keep that extra uh, additional profit. And corporate America has said a few things about this. So Unilever CFO said recently that he thinks inflation could be even higher next year than it is this year. Uh, the input costs that Dan and Yogurt Parent Company, uh, I'm not even going to pronounce it, I'm not sure, but they saw input costs go up 8% year over year. Nestle is seeing inflation across the board. The question becomes, how much will consumers be willing to take? A report from the Wall Street Journal suggests that consumers can handle a little bit, but at a certain point, U.S. shoppers will no longer be willing to dish out 20 bucks for premium paper towels and will go and we will all go off brand, uh, at least a lot of us. I know I'm, I'm already, I like to, I'm frugal. I like to find good deals. So I'm, I went off brand at the little supermarket, like I said, but 
we'll find a different solution for, you know, our small spills at home and stop buying the uh, premium paper towels. So at some point it can affect the economy negatively, but we're not going to quite go there right now. So reasons why it could be transitory. What are some reasons? Well, supply chains go back to normal and we go back to 2% inflation and then we're all good, right? So that's, you know, the, the sort of, that was sort of the, the hope and the dream. There are also some natural deflationary forces that have been going on for years and, you know, just, you know, ever since basically the industrial revolution, but technology and automation drives prices down by improving productivity, like in the simplest terms, how much would it cost to build 10 cars by hand versus on the assembly line? So that's just, you know, obviously um, the more cost efficiently we create things, the lower we can price things and still make profit from a business standpoint. Now, reasons why it could stay elevated, reasons why inflation could stay elevated. There are certainly some very structural reasons why inflation could last longer than than expected. Forbes article lays out some reasons, and I'm just going to cherry pick a couple. You can find the rest in the show notes uh, on investsmarterpod.com. So the first reason is the very high levels of debt in the government with companies and consumers makes inflation in a sense kind of a good thing in the sense that it helps keep the risk of deflation, which is prices going down, uh, it keeps that risk at bay, resulting from a huge bust. Like imagine if interest rates shot up so high that everyone could no longer pay their their floating rate mortgage or they couldn't pay their floating rate debt. And, and then there's a bunch of defaults and then the economy crashes and then prices do go down because no one can buy anything. That is one reason why having some inflation at a moderate level can be good, but it's a reason why the interest rates are also, you know, really being held down. And since because and because inflation causes the value of the dollar to decline, it means that the value of our debt declines and our relative indebtedness decreases. So one thing that's sometimes overlooked by people is that inflation, if you have a lot of debt, inflation can actually be good for you because uh, your debt is staying the same value, like in nominal and absolute terms, but the value of that debt is going down. And if you're some, and if you're getting a, uh, and if you're in, in, and if inflation is helping you in the terms of you're getting increased wages, then you have increased income to pay down that fixed amount of debt. Another reason why we see inflation potentially staying longer is that there has been a lot of inflation in energy prices. And this is important because over the pandemic, oil companies were crushed and they were losing a ton of money. And what do they do when they lose a ton of money is they cut investment in new production of energy, of oil, of natural gas, etc. So now we have structural situation where the demand rebounded very, very strong, but the, but the supply may be unable to keep up for a while because it doesn't take, it's not instant. You can't, the energy companies can't just drill for oil, discover new oil one day and then have it, you know, in the gas station the next. It takes a while to go through. So Production will probably come up in the long term, or the medium term, I should say, but uh, in the short term, in the next few years, it's going to take longer. So energy prices, you know, they may be staying high. And that's something that contributes a lot to inflation. Another reason why I think inflation may stick around for longer is that wages are going up because in the labor market, there are way too many open jobs and just not enough people to fill them. There is this thing going on, the great resignation. This is what has been going on. People are retiring early. People are quitting their jobs, following passion projects, etc. And the jobs that need to be filled are just not getting filled. 
And a lot of these jobs are jobs that are quite important, like truckers, for instance. And so wages going up, I mean, a lot of, I mean, how many people out there are going to accept, you know, their wages going back down, you know, that's a, it's a very sticky part of inflation. When wages go up, they don't like to come back down. So with that sort of background out of the way, let's get into the meat of it. Inflation is bad for our wallets. Normally, with moderate inflation around the 2% level, the value of our cash deteriorates, but at a slower pace. You know, what most people should be doing is be keeping three to six months incomes worth of cash on hand for emergencies with their emergency fund. That's the right thing to do in pretty much every case. But if you have excess cash, normally it wouldn't necessarily hurt you too bad if we only have, you know, moderate inflation. But now it's going to be a little bit more painful if inflation stays higher. So for those that have excess cash beyond their emergency fund, but they're not ready or they're not, they're nervous or they're not sure what to do with it, not ready to invest in equities uh, or other higher risk assets don't make sense for them for whatever reason. You may still want to protect against inflation in some way. So one way you normally would do that would be to buy government notes or bonds, like for instance, the 10-year treasury. Right now, the 10-year treasury is around 1.6%. So with inflation at 5.4%, uh, the actual real rate of return you're getting on your treasury is negative 3.8%. So even though your account balance is going up with the treasury, with the interest you're getting, your actual wealth is going down by 3.8% because you're able to buy less and less of the same amount of goods each year that this goes on. But at least if you have the treasury, you're not going down the full amount of inflation. If you just have cash, let's say you have three to six months worth, let's say you have six months worth of income in the bank account, you have $50,000 in the bank account, but then you also have another $100,000 in your savings account. Well, in your savings account, you're probably getting no interest or very, very minimal interest. So that $100,000 over the past 12 months has gone down in value essentially by 5.4%. So you have to keep that in mind. And if that's you, you really want to maybe really strongly consider, you know, parking your cash somewhere where you're at least offsetting it, if not um, really figuring out your time horizon and determining if you should be in something like equities, which we're going to get into in a second here. So right now, how can we protect ourselves against inflation? Because like I've kind of been hinting at, there's a big risk that a lot of us out there might be being overly conservative at this point, conservative to the point where it's actually hurting us, where it's actually hurting our ability to preserve our capital because we're not actually preserving our wealth if we're just in cash with higher inflation. So it's a great time to really do a checkup and check and check on how your assets and how your capital is allocated. So the first thing you'll want to do is to make sure you do have enough cash at a moment's notice ready for you. Um, for emergencies. So like I've said a couple of times now, typically three to six months worth of income. Now, after that, you really want to be wary of holding too much cash, yielding little or no interest. Now, this is when you really want to nail down your time horizon. You really, really want to figure out how long before you're going to need access to additional funds, because this is going to help you determine how to position the rest of your assets to fight against inflation. Now, the longer you can stretch your time horizon, uh, the more you're going to be able to fight inflation over the long haul and be able to take on more risk. But that's short term risk if we're talking equities, because we know equities over the long term has been one of the greatest ways to fight inflation and to beat inflation. Let's talk about some of the ways you can head off inflation. And I'm definitely going to start with the more conservative options for those of you out there with shorter time horizons uh, or just have no tolerance for risk whatsoever. You're still going to want to do something. So we'll talk about some of those options. And then we're going to talk about uh, some options that do 
uh, invite some risk and some volatility. But if you have a long time horizon, like I've said, are going to be great options for you. And now let's go through some of the options. And we're going to start with a baseline that you have a bunch of additional cash beyond your emergency fund. And it's sitting in a savings account that is yielding next to nothing. Okay, so we're going to we're going to ramp it up from there. So if you're very, very conservative, you could consider a high yield savings account. So right now, regular old savings accounts like a Wells Fargo, for instance, savings account, it's yielding right now 0.01% annual percentage yield. So that's essentially zero. So we want to do better than that. So a high yield savings account is better than that significantly, at least from a percentage increase uh, amount. Um, But this is still a very conservative option for you. Um, So a lot of the online only banks where they have low overhead, they are able to give you more yield on your savings. So just looking now, for instance, Goldman Sachs Marcus savings account can give you half of 1% annual percentage yield. And I see the same thing for a city savings account. So there's a bunch of other ones too. So I would encourage you to check that out if you just want to at least get something back on your cash as opposed to getting the full brunt of inflation. Next up the list would be money market funds. Money market funds are basically like mutual funds that are always priced at one. They're very safe. You're you do not risk principal risk as the price of the mutual fund, like I said, is always going to be one, except there have been rare occasions when a market money fund has uh, broken the buck, as they say. But those are rare instances and you aren't likely to lose a lot in that case either. Now, you aren't getting a whole lot more yield at all in these funds right now than you are in the high yield savings account. So the simplicity, the more liquidity, well, this is very liquid, but it's, it will probably be even simpler to go with the high yield savings account. Okay, another option. Um, and now this is when you will have a bit of a time horizon. So you're going to, this is when you're going to have a little bit of a time horizon uh, situation here. So CDs or certificates of deposits are another potential option to fight inflation. And again, though, rates are very low here, but they are higher than the money markets and the high yield savings accounts. Um, depending on what you go with, you could get up to 1% which at least is, you know, doing, helping a little bit. Uh, and with the certificates of deposit, you're usually locking in your money for 12 months to five years is the standard term of these. So you'd put in money, you'd get your interest monthly. All right, moving up the ladder, we're going to get to an option that I do think can be a really good option for a lot of conservative people out there. Uh, this could make a lot of sense. And we're talking here about savings bonds, otherwise known as I-bonds. These are bonds that are issued by the government and are guaranteed. This could be a great and safe option to protect your savings from inflation. So the I-bond is a 30-year bond that pays interest semi-annually, and the interest rate is indexed to inflation. So it does protect your purchasing power. So this is a way to actually protect the money you put in from inflation. Now, you don't get access to the interest until you redeem the bonds. So this is not a situation where you're going to be getting any income from it. And that's sort of the trade-off with the government. They're saying, we'll protect you from inflation, but we're not going to give you any money until you redeem it. So you have to wait at least one year before you can redeem them as well. And if you redeem them between years one and five, you'll forfeit three months of interest. And there's a few other caveats. Um, You can only buy up to $10,000 worth of an I-bond annually, but you can use a tax refund to also buy an additional 5k. So the most you can buy per year is 5k annually in total. And depending on, you know, how much money you have, this could really be a great thing for you, or it could just be a drop in the bucket. But regardless, it's something to consider. They also grow local and state tax free and are only taxed at the federal level upon redemption, but can actually be tax exempt if used for qualified educational expenses. 
So this is a great option if you have a lot of extra cash savings beyond an emergency fund that you won't be needing for at least a few years. All right, moving right on up the ladder here, we're going to treasury inflation protected securities. And this is similar to savings bonds in that it does protect against inflation again. These will also pay interest and the principal will be adjust, adjusted based on inflation. So theoretically, the, the tips, the, that's what they're also called, tips, treasury inflation protected securities, um, they could lose money if there was a, uh, a deflationary period because then your principal would actually be adjusted down because inflation was negative. Uh, these securities are available in 5, 10, and 30-year terms. The main difference between this and the savings bonds is that the interest and principal increases are taxable in the year you receive it. So it's not as tax effective, uh, as tax efficient, I should say. And you can theoretically lose value. Whereas in the savings bond, the previous year's value is the floor. So next there is the actual interest rate on tips is also lower than other government bonds because you get the additional benefit of the inflation adjustments. So not necessarily a good option for income, but since we're talking about inflation, it's a good, it's a it's a good consideration to fight against inflation. Now, next on the ladder is government bonds and notes. Now, they are available in many different terms, two to 30 years. Um, what you want to be careful with here is that the longer term the bond, the more sensitive it is to interest rates going one way or the other. And in this case, we'd be worried about interest rates rising. So if interest rates rise and you buy a 30-year treasury bond, the principal can go down. So the only way you're going to get your full principal back uh, is by waiting until maturity in that case. And rates are still low here. We are still in the conservative, shorter time horizon sort of situation where capital preservation is uh, of utmost importance. Now, the next option to fight against inflation we're going to talk about is corporate bonds, investment-grade corporate bonds specifically here. Um, the easiest way to get exposure here would be through a bond fund. You don't necessarily want to find yourself trying to select individual corporate bonds because, uh, well, let's just not even go there. Um, but essentially, this is a place where we are now moving away from government-issued sort of securities and we're going into the corporate world. So we're moving away from sort of the guaranteed idea to not guaranteed, but we're investment grade, so we're very high quality. We're getting, we're buying the debt of the best, biggest companies in the world. So for instance, the PIMCO investment grade corporate bond fund has a current income yield of about 2.3%. So now we're getting to a place where we're actually, you know, we're, we're starting to fight inflation. Still not, you know, 5.4%, but assuming that inflation does moderate, you know, this is a good way to, you know, still preserve some of that purchasing power that inflation is so terrible for. But one thing to keep in mind, again, is that since we're in the environment where rates are expected to rise over time, you may want to keep the bond funds shorter term, just with, like with the treasury bonds, as that will uh, make your principal less sensitive to the interest rates moving higher. You can get higher income longer term, but you could be punished as interest rates move higher. Okay, next, we're going to get out of the debt side. So we're going to go away from debt and we're going to go into buying actual assets. So the one here we're going to talk about that can help fight inflation is real estate because real estate has traditionally benefited from inflation. So one way to get exposure here is real estate investment trusts, uh, commonly called REITs. 
um, which trade like stocks, by the way, on exchanges. So you could potentially, you know, get exposure to real estate through your brokerage account. But this could be a consideration if you have long, if you have a longer term time horizon, like let's say three plus years, but the longer the better. Um, when there is inflation, we know the price of things, of stuff is going up. So the idea is let's own the assets that are going up in price. And real estate historically has accomplished this. Um, owning real estate, um, also, if you were to, you know, go into physical real estate, which I'm no expert in, if you do finance, if you expect rates to go up and you finance buying, let's say, a multifamily sort of apartment complex with debt and you expect inflation, um, then your rent's going to be rising while the value of the debt you use to buy it is going down. So it's kind of like a double bonus where your the, your income from the rent goes up, which you can use to pay down the debt, uh, which is staying the same value. So you could pay it down theoretically faster. So that's one thing to consider. Um, but you know, if you're going to even think about actually buying a, a property, I would highly suggest that you talk to someone who's an expert in that area. Another asset class that does do well during inflationary times, but can be volatile and should be considered if you have a long enough time horizon is commodities. After all, they are some of the things that are increasing in price, which is causing all of the goods that we buy to be increasing in price. So by owning commodities such as oil, iron, corn, you know, the food, the things that we use to build things, uh, you're also going to be able to hedge inflation a bit. So that can also be in, uh, in a consideration for you. Now, finally, if you determine that your emergency fund is solid and after that you have a long term time horizon, you won't need to, you won't need to touch the rest of your cash. You have five, 10, 15, 20, or even more years, uh, left and you're just waiting till retirement. Then equities, stocks ought to be a strong consideration for you. This undoubtedly uh, invites the potential for uh, a bit of volatility. Um, that is also something you should consider. Uh, your risk tolerance, but equities over the long term uh, are going to be one of the absolute best ways to hedge inflation. And now within equities, there are also certain sectors which can benefit from inflation, like energy companies, healthcare companies, technology companies, not all technology companies, but some consumer staples, materials companies, sectors that can pass the price increases onto consumers because the demand for their products is inelastic. And what that means is the demand for their products isn't tremendously impacted by rising prices. Um, so you can think consumer staples, you know, we're going to be buying our paper towels, we're going to be buying our food, no matter what. Uh, some areas of equities to be cautious about would be high priced discretionary goods with inflation. Consumers may hold off on big ticket purchases like that, you know, new Dolce and Gabbana handbag uh, that you don't really need. You can wait on that one. But we're not all going to stop buying the toilet paper. We're not going to stop driving to work. Well, actually, maybe we will stop uh, going to work and go back to working from home. But you know what I mean? And we also probably won't like readily give up our Netflix account, even if they raise the price a few bucks. So you can be strategic about it. You can figure out, you know, where are pockets of the market that are extra inflation safe. But overall, even in general, even if you just go the broad diversified stocks, you're going to do good. You're going to do pretty well over the long haul because uh, they historically have increased faster than the rate of inflation by a quite a wide margin. So those are some things to keep in mind when thinking about which equities you want to own, which can help fight against inflation. I would caution against trying to get cute and picking individual stocks uh, and stick with the funds to get diversification. 
and not open yourself up to the, any hidden risks that you miss uh, when buying individual stocks. All right, with that, that does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We covered a lot about inflation and how to potentially hedge inflation if you have too much cash. Now head on over to investsmarterpod.com and subscribe to our newsletter and get your Navigating the Market Cycle ebook. And leave us a question on the website as well, and I'll be sure to feature it on the show. And with that, have a great week, and I'll see you next week.